lots and lots of spoilers. The prize. Oh, that sweet, sweet prize. Sure, you gotta behead a lot of people to get it, but when you're done... It is so, so worth it. There can be only one, or, well, two, because we are Max and Mike, and we talk about movies. Over there, hefting steel that will slice, dice, and make Julian fries, whatever those are, is Kurgan Max Levine. Holy ground, Highlander. And me, with my slithering snake of a sword darting from tree to tree, is the immoral, immortal Mike Luce. Together, we can be only one! Do not dispute us! Right. We're at the end of our current series, Leave Them Wanting More, and we're ending with the movie that kind of spurred us on to do the whole series in the first place. <laughs> Highlander 2, The Quickening. Haven't seen it? Don't worry, you won't. We've mm. seen to that. But now, <laughs> let's see to this, won't we? Oh yes, precious, we will. Do, so, do, I, do I have to be here for this? <laughs> we're here. We're enough. Uh... <clears throat> Sorry about that. <laughs> thing on my throat. Oh, God, a hairball. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's my friend. It's oh. my precious, precious. Bad, Mike. Bad. Look at what you did. Look. <laughs> People are going to tune out right now. You're assuming they tuned in in the first place, but sure. <laughs> I know. Hi, five nice people. <laughs> anyway, uh, before we get started any further, we've been talking about a little thing we've done called a Colin show. We're still working out the kinks or the <laughs> kinks. I'm sorry, the uh, technical aspects of it. Well, it would take a, you know, uh, how it's going to work. But we've had some more suggestions. Right now, we have had suggestions uh, such as talking about a classic film that, you know, is considered very uh, top of the list, many lists, something like uh, Citizen Kane. Yeah. Uh, we've been su- it's been suggested we might try something like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, we had, what, what did Cheese Boy say? I forget. Oh, yes, he said uh, Rogue Warfare it, 3. And hey, another shout out to our uh, listener, Vince, uh, who actually sought it out and watched Rogue Warfare 3. Vince, who threw himself on the <laughs> the uh, cinematic grenade to protect us. He watched it so we don't have to. Vince, yeah. you, you know, pour one out for Vince. <laughs> So that was a possibility, and we got a new we one hope, this we week. We hope, by the way, we hope Vince is recovering well. From, from <laughs> I can't that. see my eyes, my eyes. Uh, that's not at all what Vince sounds like. Uh, so we uh, got another uh, suggestion this week, and it's a very interesting suggestion. Um, uh. Unfortunately, it would actually make a lot of sense. I just, yeah. So we might do a call-in show based on people's experience with a little film called The Room. <laughs> Oh, hi, miserable experience of cinema. How is it going, huh? <laughs> Maybe together we can all heal. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it and then it the is a remarkable was... phenomenon. It'd probably be pretty interesting to talk about. Yeah. Phenomenon uh, is, in fact, what it is. Yeah. Uh, the last idea, which was mine, which was we could also possibly do a show about films that we've seen many, many times, not our favorite, not even a guilty pleasure, just if it's on, we won't turn it off and we'll probably stop what we're doing and sitting there and talk about it or can't watch o- it. Can't always explain why, but there are movies you, we've seen 10, 15 times just because it's easier than changing the channel. I don't know. 
even if we own it. Yeah. We don't go and get the disc so yep. we can avoid the commercials. No, no, no. We nope. <laughs> it's on whatever station it is, uh, the one in in Chicago, whatever. We're gonna sit and watch that stupid movie. Uh, that's an idea. So yep. if you have any thoughts, please uh, contact us. We'll go over that again at the end of the show. Yeah. Although you probably already know how. But you know tonight. I think we have a, I don't say this all the time, but I think we have a really good show. We have a couple of special guests. Uh, we have Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery, which was really hard because he's dead. Uh, and Lambert, of course, because he's French. Um, and we're going to have uh, stupid pet tricks. <laughs> Bumpy is going to play uh, some frisbee. Dave, you, you're a wild man, Dave. I got to say, you're, you're, you're a fresh kick. Yeah. So is uh, our show right between the eyes. But... I bet Highlander there are two. some trivial things about Highlander 2. And I won't just say the entire film. But, trivia. The show. Budget. Initially 10 million, ballooning to 34 million. The take. Just just guess. Nope. <laughs> I, you keep trying to get make me guess. I don't know why, because I have no idea. Game my game! <laughs> All right. $50! <laughs> Wow, five dollar limit poker face. Uh, Fifteen point six million. Ouch! Not even this, half. This should have been the end. Oh, but it is not. It oh so dear, isn't. no, it is not. No, Sean Connery and Christopher Lambert became such good friends on the set of the first movie that it was only because of Lambert's insistence that Connery came back. And now I assume they are no longer friends. I assume they're not even speaking. Yeah. Um, but Connor was no fool. He made a cool million for a week's work on the first movie and a cool 3.5 million <laughs> for nine days' work on this one. So, yeah. The original choice for Highlander Kurt Russell. But that would Goldie have been a Hawn, different movie. Yeah, well, now that's for the first film, and it's like yeah, it would have been a different movie, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the original film. But Goldie Hawn, not his wife, uh, I don't know what they are, but they've been together forever convinced him otherwise and he went on to do a little film called big trouble in little china instead well Yay, done goldie Kurt. good job goldie <laughs> you know jungle boy can be taught <laughs> uh so uh, a quote from the evil villain portrayer michael ironside regarding his role in this film which might explain a lot yeah this is a direct quote yeah listen i hated that script we all did. Me, Sean, Chris, we were all in it for the money on this one. I mean, it read as if it had been written by a 13-year-old boy, but <laughs> I have never played a barbarian swordsman before, and this was my first big evil mastermind type. I figured if I was going to do this stupid movie, I might as well have fun and go as far over the top as I possibly could. All that eye-rolling and foaming at the mouth was me deciding that if I was going to be in a piece of beep like that movie, I was going to be the most memorable beeping thing in it, and I think I succeeded. <laughs> end quote yeah we'll talk about that later <laughs> yeah christopher lambert tried to duck out of this film because of the <laughs> script as well but had already signed on the dotted line clancy brown was smart enough to say no from the beginning <laughs> yeah even the director didn't like this film he left 15 minutes into the premiere only due to contractual obligations was he unable to change his credit to read alan smithy oh boy the remaining sequels, and there are three of them, and the TV show would basically pretend that this movie never existed. Most of its premise and sequences were just ignored. The third film, after the one after this one, is commonly, commonly nicknamed Highlander 3 The Apology. <laughs> and 
Sadly, it's not all that good of an apology. Uh, this coordinates given in this movie about a very special place, uh, and that allows Connor and Louise, we'll get to them, to quote-unquote get above the shield. They're actually in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, just <laughs> east of Virginia Beach. <laughs> so, well, yeah, sure. Good luck climbing the Atlantic Ocean. The film was made entirely in Argentina after the government had entered a period of high corruption. This would cause a lot of issues with financing and those that issued bonds for the making of the film grabbing overall control late into the project, which is what the director blames the badness on. But, mm. oh, there's plenty of blame to be spread around. Mm. Spoiler. <clears throat> Initially, Lambert refused to use fake swords in combat, even though the metal ones weighed close to 20 pounds. Eesh. After an accident that nearly sheared off his finger and chopped one of, uh, I'm sorry, chipped one of Michael Ironside's teeth, he made the switch. <laughs> Best part about this, Christopher Lambert, terrible eyesight. Yeah. And I can confirm this because I've met the man. Well, met. <clears throat> Before filming the first movie, and even after he had signed the contract, Unbeknownst to the production company, Christopher Lambert didn't speak a word of English. <laughs> Oops. Yep. He uh, he went into a crash course for six weeks or months or whatever, and that's why he can now speak English. More or less. <laughs> that overripe fruit movie website gives this movie a rare, full 0% rating. <laughs> wow, that's incredibly rare. There aren't a lot yes. of those. No, and so, so much less. But Max, do you have any uh, little tidbits? I of... do I do want to point out that uh, one of the main reasons the script was violently rewritten <laughs> against, under, uh, against the express wishes of the director because the insurance company that was putting up the bond basically took over production. And because of the right. way the contract was set up, they could. They rewrote this script. They brought in their own people. They took out certain elements we'll talk about and shoehorned in others. And it was a and everyone on the shoot, as as Mike said, everyone hated it, including yeah. the audience. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we, they did a uh, the director did try to put out a director's cut, which is kind which is, of what we saw. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, that's but, that's uh, pretty. That's uh, I think that's just about it. Yeah. I saw it opening. Oh, yes, I'm nice. sorry. I do want to point out, at one point when they're breaking into S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, I'm sorry, the S.H.I.E.L.D. Corporation, <laughs> it's really... Hail I, Hydra. Yep. <laughs> I know this was made in, what, 91, which is yeah. you know, before any of the... Uh, uh, I mean, we knew S.H.I.E.L.D. from the comic books, but right. they, they talk about the S.H.I.E.L.D. Corporation. It's really hard to separate. I keep expecting Nick Fury to wander in, but I wish they, they, when they break into this prison at one point, they run into a doctor who is whose name is in the credits the doctor, and he is played by comedian Jeff Altman. And I just want to say, Jeff, I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> Jeff Altman was actually not a bad stand-up comic in his day, and he was he has was reduced to doing a bunch of annoying bit parts on TV. And unfortunately, the thing that destroyed his career back in I think 1980. He was the Jeff in Pink Lady and Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That thing, wow, that's a deeper. That was supposed to make his career, and it it really almost completely destroyed it. Yeah, Pink Lady and Jeff. I think we've talked about that before. Oh, Very, we've mentioned it. There's not much to talk about, really. Can, can, can I bring it up a little? Just, just uh, quickly. Like, like yesterday's lunch? Yeah. yeah. 
It, during it was in the eighties, the time of Donnie and Marie and a lot of the musical uh, uh, variety shows, and they, I think it was CBS or NBC or one of them decided we want one, and we're going to bring over this adorable pair of Japanese girls, me and Kay, who have this group called Pink Lady, and they're huge in Japan, and they're going to be really popular in America, like Donnie and Marie. Small problem, neither me nor Kay spoke any English. I mean, less yeah. than Christopher Lambert did. <laughs> and had, and in America, nobody knew who they were, so they brought in, okay, we'll bring in a stand-up comic to sort of be the translator, to be the uh, identifiable. And that was poor Jeff Altman. Mm. And the show, I think, barely ran one season. And it yeah. is one of the great disasters of TV. But, well, one of the problems is that every time that they would start singing, Mothra would show up, yeah. and then, you know, that, <laughs> that was, was a problem. <laughs> they, could, they couldn't help it. It was really embarrassing. Pink Lady and Jeff, Pink. a step below the Hudson Brothers razzle-dazzle show. It so. really was. But anyway. Yeah. All right. We have a plot to get through. We and do. Oh, boy. <clears throat> yeah. Deep breath. Yeah. All right. It's the year 2024, and Connor McLeod, the Highlander, no longer immortal and seemingly without the prize he earned in the first film, lives in a dark world with no daylight. Seems the ozone layer finally deteriorated to the point that it was causing worldwide radiation poisoning. It was a plague the likes of which we've never seen, and still don't because that would be too expensive. <clears throat> so McLeod and some other guy built The Shield, an energy barrier that keeps out the bad radiation and all of the sunlight. So people live, but it's kind of miserable. We won't ask where the food comes from or <laughs> why there are still animals, things to eat. Uh, sorry, uh, where was I? Uh, who oh, knows? Right. Uh, so it seems that the Immortals weren't Immortals after all. They were really from the distant past and were exiled here because of a failed coup. Connor's old and sad. The world is old and sad. But Michael Ironside, playing General Katana, is keeping an eye on his rival in the future, the Highlander, and simply cannot wait for him to just die already! <laughs> so he sends some goons to finish him off, and lo and behold, their presence in the future... <laughs> thinking of Criswell. Yeah. Their presence in the future... But that's all in the past now. <laughs> ...causes the whole immortal thing to reverse itself. McLeod kills the henchmen, absorbs their life essences, and becomes young again and, more or less, remembers all the stuff he seemingly forgot in the first movie. <laughs> Meanwhile, an anti-shield group called Cobalt, Hail Hydra, has been gathering information <laughs> that shows that the shield is no longer necessary. The ozone layer has repaired itself. But Evil Corp simply won't hear any of this as they will no longer make money, tie damsels to railroad tracks, or twist their mustaches if the shield is turned off. You forgot to close out orphanages. <laughs> that too. When Connor meets Louise, leader of Cobalt, it's a love story made in about ten seconds. Yeah, in a filthy Together, alley. <laughs> you're interrupting. Sorry. <laughs> Together, we, I gotta get through this. Yeah, yep, There's sorry. still another paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the whole movie felt. Together, they fight to take down Evil Corp and the S.H.I.E.L.D. with the help of the suddenly reappearing, resurrecting Ramirez. Seems if you call your buddy's name, even if dead, they can come back and have a really long, unnecessary suit-fitting <laughs> scene and then fly to your aid in a propeller plane that couldn't possibly... Sorry. <sighs> sorry. Sorry. Eventually, General Katana and Connor meet in a clash of traditional steel. And then they do it again. And finally, one more time until Connor manages to cut off Katana's head, which will end his life forever and make McLeod the Highlander or Immortal or something again. And he steps into the energy beam and deactivates the shield, and everyone's happy at the end. <laughs> <sighs>
All right, so Max. Yeah. I know you're dying to get to this part. Yeah. So if you go to watch Highlander 2, The Quickening, and we'll repeat the joke right now, if it's The Quickening, <laughs> why, why is, is it so, so slow? slow? <laughs> uh, you will see something called the Renegade version or the Director's Cut. Yes, this is actually starring Fernando Lamas. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, so when this movie came out, the, um, the Immortals... Not Highlanders, and I don't know why anybody calls him the Highlander yeah. in the film, except Ramirez, because that's a Scottish term, and it was only because he was supposedly born in Scotland. We saw that in the first film. Why the people in the past, Ugh. from who knows where, call him the Highlander, I don't know. Oh, right, the anyway, people from the past, right. When you first went to see this film, yeah. when it came out, opening night, because we really liked the original film. We did. I still do. There is a, there is a point... Early on in the film, where you, you're suddenly transported to this place, and you don't know where it is, and we're all a little confused, and there's Ramirez, and there's uh, the Highlander, Connor McLeod, with a whole bunch of other guys in this strange, somewhat alien location. Looks kind of like and, Dune. Yeah, which itself is not a good thing. And one of the characters, I think it's actually Ramirez, says free men of the planet and then what he actually says in the yeah. original film is free men of the planet zeist yep and they dub in hear me instead of zeist in this version because originally in this film ramirez and all the other immortals including mcleod the kurgan blah 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 were not from the distant past which itself doesn't make any sense they were from planet zeist yeah i'm and not it, saying it was aliens but it was aliens. <laughs> At that point in the film, yeah. which is only about five minutes or ten minutes into the film, and yeah. I hear Planet Zeist, I attempted to leave the theater. Yeah. My friends would not let me. They said, no, no, let's stay and make We paid money for this. We're going to see it. Maybe <laughs> so it, it gets better. Uh, spoiler, it doesn't. Um so suddenly they're basically saying, yeah, you know all that stuff we saw in history? Because uh, the original film, if you haven't seen it, is actually, it has its cheese factor, but it's actually a pretty fun, complete little and film that, that has a very simple present premise, which is during history, people are born immortal. And the idea is that eventually they will all come together into something called the quickening. And at that point, whoever's left will batter, battle the person who wins will gain a prize, which, to be fair, they don't even know what it is. That's it. That's the entire premise. There's no witches. There's no dragons. It's just literally some people live forever. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, sorry. and the only way an immortal can be killed is to have their head cut off, which is why yeah. they're all big swordsmen. And, right. you know, guns just sort of annoy them. And, of course, right. the prize is a lifetime supply of Sanka. Thank you. <laughs> You can't. You wanted me to stop doing it. Yeah, but anyway. yeah. yeah. it's um, funny when I do it. And apparently, we find out at the end of the film that the prize is that you, the the winner, can know the thoughts of anybody or everybody on the planet. But they will now also be able to finally live their lives as a mortal person, grow old, and die. Also, which have is, children. Yeah, so, which to be fair. After four or five hundred years, if you're lucky, i.e. Connor McCloud, you probably are like, yeah, I could stand to just stop. Ramirez is apparently over 2,000 years old, so, hmm. yeah. Yeah, now, well, but remember all that from the first movie? Forget it. It has nothing to do with this. Nope, it was all wrong. It's all, well, time travelers, apparently, who are not immortal in the past or on planet Zeist. 
Because, yeah, they, they edit it. They apparently thought, oh, no, aliens, are that's dumb. Time travel it might, makes much more sense. Yeah. yeah but when they're in their time or on their planet, they're not immortal. But then they come to the present or our planet, and they are immortal. But all they want to do is go home where they won't be immortal. But that's okay, because they forgot all of that when they were exiled <sighs> in the first film. So, yeah, we get to start this film watching... <laughs> this film watching Christopher Lambert fall asleep. Yeah, Christopher Lambert wearing some of the least convincing aging makeup and doing the worst old man impression because apparently he thinks to do an old man you just have to wheeze. <laughs> you know, and my favorite part is that he went to opera. Yes. Not any particular opera, he just went oh, to Oh, no, no, excuse opera. me. We know what opera... No, no, no. We don't We don't know I, the opera house. That's what I mean. Yeah, the theater it, is just labeled... Yeah, it's the same with there's opera, and then there's bar. <laughs> I remember... It's thinking, like when this whole I'm, pandemic is over, I'm hoping Max and I can go to movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Possibly we'll even eat at a at restaurant. Yeah, food. Yeah. <laughs> Eats. <laughs> <laughs> but in the most prescient moment of the film, we start off the entire epic adventure watching christopher lambert go to sleep yeah, yeah he basically represents the audience in this and yeah. yes the, the opera he's watching is of course go to damarong and even before they showed us the the bit of the the sheet music to tell us what it was i guess maybe it was the program that's to be fair it was the program i'm sitting there going boy that's wagner-esque if ever i heard it and you were and right i'll have to say the little transitions of him watching the opera, watching God of Damarong, that's not Siegfried, though. Who is the... No, it is. It's Siegfried. Well, Brunhilde is doing most of the singing, but Siegfried is the one who's laid out on the pyre. And he's got nice legs, I gotta say. Anyway, <laughs> okay. um, we're watching this this opera, and then it transitions to either the past <laughs> or planet Zeist, whichever uh, version you saw. I gotta admit, that little bit, that tiny little bit is the only thing reminiscent of the original film. Yeah, the cinematography and, there is actually pretty decent, the way they cut back and forth. Yeah, that 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 moment. Yeah. After that, the moment passes like a kidney stone, yeah, and we're yeah. left with the rest of the film. Um, but yeah, so all really they did is there's a couple of instances in the film where they literally dub over the word Zeist, and we don't know uh, anything about Zeist. That's what the, I was worried because, quite honestly, I felt cheated that I wasn't going to see the original uh, cut of this film because, for one thing, there was Zeist, and for another thing, this cut adds 19 additional minutes of footage. <laughs> also, am I crazy? I remember yes. some detail from this movie where they had special weapons that were designed to fight. The Immortals, like they were weapons that were specifically designed to cut people's heads off at a distance. I don't remember. I, I've, I've thought so, seen but maybe I'm, maybe I'm confusing it with another bad movie. And, and Max and I love bad movies. I oh, remember, yeah. well, we, I've only seen this once. I saw it when it came out, and yeah. I was like, that's it, I'm done. And then, like the complete idiot that I am, I went and saw Highlander 3, but we'll not get into that Hey, tonight. I saw 3, I saw 4. I, oh, I yeah. did, Apparently there's a 5. I, I don't think I knew that. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, you. T Mike told me there was a five. That's and uh, I watched a good chunk of the series. I kind of like the TV series. Well, that was his son, Duncan. Is that well? What he was a clansman. He was another. He was another McLeod. But oh. I don't know if they were that closely related. But they well, do Lambert meet a couple didn't want to do the show. Yeah, yeah. Lambert didn't want to do the show. Yeah, and so uh, they had Duncan, and then later on, apparently, he's like, "Well, okay, I'll show up." So he does show up in the show. Yeah, um, and in one of the off, movies. So we start off, there's an opera, and it's dark, 
because quite honestly, it's easier to shoot at nighttime when in a giant set. And I had to look this up because initially I'm looking at these sets going, wait, were the original Batman sets just hanging around <laughs> gathering moth? Because that's what it looks like. It looks but, like Gotham City from the 89 Batman film. But since it, took, it was shot in Argentina. I thought they were trying to look like Blade Runner. You know, everything dark, everything kind of wet. Well, and here's the weirdest part. Every single vehicle in this film is supposed to be taking place in 2024, even though it's shot in 91. Even in 91, every vehicle in this film is at least 25 years old, yeah. if not older. And it's like, uh, so, yeah. oh, I get it. So because the ozone layer's gone, you can't grow cars anymore. So. <laughs> or like when Ramirez is flying from London, he's in a <laughs> propeller plane. Yeah. But it still has a little TV with a you know the little safety film, which you apparently you can access anytime during the flight because he's well over the, the oh, Atlantic. I, at that I point. gotta say that was the one I, one thing I liked. I love the safety film because it's not just like you know the oxygen mask will drop down. It's like the plane is crashing on the film yeah. and everyone's screaming and the masks are flailing about and you see the plane ram into the side of a mountain. I'm going okay. That would convince me to pay attention to the safety film. <laughs> well, also, did you notice it wasn't even the mask? It was literally a bag. Yes, you, you put a, a bag, bag over your head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the little yeah. things like that, or at one point we see an ad for the TV show Psychic Cook. Yeah. And I'm going, did we switch over to RoboCop? Because this looks like one of those, I'd buy that for a dollar fake TV shows. Yeah, which was from a film called Death Row Game Show. Which oh, okay. That's where that comes from. Oh, uh, I know that. Or no, I'm sorry, that comes from Running Man. There was there was another, actually there was a show, I'm sorry, a movie called Death Row Game Show that was basically taking that little nice 10 second skit and making it an entire film. Oh. Uh, but you wouldn't have seen it, yeah. people out there, yeah. and be happy. Um, also, there are TVs in people's cars, despite the fact they're still being manually driven which we know per personally that that's a really dumb idea. Yeah, but it's the future, so TV's everywhere, yeah. I guess. Um, but that's okay, because in the future, there's literally only about five people, so it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Until they bring people from the future, Ugh. because... I mean, literally, so General Katana played by Michael Ironside. His whole thing is, grr, grr, I wait, when they had that coup, I should have killed them, but the stupid judges made me put them into exile <laughs> on Earth in the future slash Zeist. Which grr, made them immortal. Grr, yeah, what? Grr, why isn't he dead yet? Uh, I can't stand him not being dead yet. I'm going to send... <laughs> Porcupine Bob yep. and Porcupine Steve. <laughs> the, the Porcupine future. Boys. Yeah, two guys with quills for hair. I'm and a terrible person. Yeah, they exactly. They look like the Wheelers out of Return to Oz. And I mean, oh Lord! And they have the silliest fight every time. They're fighting McCloud. They're the worst <laughs> assassins ever. He's like yeah. like 70, 80 years old. Every time he like fell, all I could think is ah my hip, ah my <laughs> other hip. Yeah, and it's at that point that I just wrote down, this feels like a movie made by a 10-year-old bashing his action figures together. <laughs> yeah, even the the, spe the toys they're using to fly look ridiculous. And, yeah, uh, well, they had that to whole this sequence is, is just so dumb. They actually had to redesign those little things they were flying on because as they made this film, they'd already started making Back to the Future 2, and they had to make oh. them look, look less skateboardy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Michael Ironside's character, General Katana, which happens to also be the kind of sword that Connor McCloud uses, so whatever. Mirez gave him, yeah. 
Yeah, and he's just like, grr, grr, he's not dead yet, even though he's old and unhappy and blah, blah, blah. I can't wait five more minutes. And he sends his his minions, I, you know. I do have to say this. Michael Ironside looks like he's having a blast. As much as he can. As much as he can. Yeah. He, he is the only one in this movie who is just, I am going to, it's like he said in the quote, I am going to just go over the top. I'm going to throw myself into this. And he yeah. really does. He's not Clancy Brown. He really wants no. to be because Clancy Brown, when he threw himself into it, was both was was both funny and terrifying, yeah, and intimidating. And I'm sorry, Michael Ironside can be really intimidating. He is a really cool action actor, and he's got mm. the voice and the stone face. And in this, he's it. He, he comes right up to the edge of being silly. Oh, I'd say he. Um... I pirouettes and jetes off the cliff, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I think he he stays on this side of the line, even though he is given such unbelievably stupid dialogue and plot and uh, everything else. And, and I I have to say one thing to Max; it'll probably get a groan, and that is the phrase, "the train scene." Oh lord. <laughs> So he shows up, and he really is trying to do his best Kurgan. He's no Kurgan. Um, and apparently Clancy Brown got into trouble because he was a little too Kurgan on the set, and people uh, were actually afraid of him. Um, well, it doesn't help, that, you know, it doesn't hurt that, that Clancy Brown is, I think, 11 foot 4, and just, yeah. he's built like a monster. He's huge, and he's very physically imposing. And Clancy Brown is awesome. Yeah. Like, if you have Clancy Brown in your film, it just got better. Yeah. Um, even if it's just his voice, because he does a lot of game stuff, and he also shows up on Clone Wars, and uh, I yep, think... does a um, lot of voice Rebels. work. Yeah, Clancy Brown's awesome. You rule, uh, Clancy. And, and we don't have Clancy Brown. No. Um, and there's a scene where the uh, General Katana first shows up, because apparently to go to the future, you just fall through <laughs> whatever, and you land in something. In this case, it's a subway train. And then he decides to just, uh, you know, frighten and and blah, 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 the people on the subway train until he comes to this little kid and I swear the kid is trying not to laugh yeah. and he holds the kid up and he's like oh you're a little one bet you always wanted to drive one of these and the kid's like uh-huh he's like yeah me too and so he drives the fra- the train knocking the or actually kills the conductor and he moves the knob <sighs> up to the point where the train is supposedly I don't care if it's even supposed to be kilometers <sighs> but it's po- it looks like it's miles he's running the train over 400 miles an hour yeah and yeah. everyone is slamming into the back because I don't think they know how g forces work no I love that that one guy with the really bad makeup who pops up and his eyes are bulging out yeah and you're just like okay whatever and then he crashes through a wall with the train although really not all that hard. And then he comes out and says something funny, I guess. Um, I don't know. Last stop. (laughs) For me, I just said the whole scene on the train is just the movie raising its middle finger to the audience. Yeah, (laughs) it really is a big screw you to the audience. It just is. Yeah. We got to talk. We have to talk about Sean. (laughs) I got to say, I didn't realize at first how much he made off the first film, never mind this film. So my feeling is that the whole point is when we're looking at Sean, the reason he's being as professional as he is, is if you look in his eyes really closely, it's hard to see because it's not a great print. But if you look really closely, you can see these little dollar signs. Excuse me, excuse me. He's Scottish. You were seeing the little pound sterling signs, the little L's. Right, of course. Yes. (laughs) But yeah, Uh, and you got, I will give Sean Connery credit. Yes, he's getting a lot of money, but he really is give, making an effort. He's not just yep. phoning it in. 
No. It's just, it's like he's cut, he's in another movie. Yeah. Because everything else in this movie is so damn serious and grim. The yeah. first movie had some humor. It wasn't just the Cargan. There was that scene I always liked. I think it's the 18th century where Connor's drunk off his mind and getting in a <laughs> duel with this guy. And the guy yeah. keeps beating him. He keeps stabbing him. And he falls down. And he goes, hi, I've won. And Connor, who is immortal, gets back up and says, hang on, let's keep. And after the fourth or fifth time, he's like, all right, I apologize for calling your wife a hippo or whatever it was. <laughs> and the guy's like, yeah. okay. But yeah. there's some humor in there. This, this movie is just airless and joyless. Connery, you know, as I say, um, Ironside tries to be over the top, but it's it's so forced. Yeah. And Connery is really trying, but it doesn't fit the rest of the movie. The whole, his whole first, I don't know, 10 minutes are, and honestly, I think this would have been a more fun movie. Forget McLeod. Let's just watch the adventures of Ramirez in the, 20, the 21st century. Well, except that we really are treated it's a treat to literally 10 minutes oh. of watching sean connery as ramirez get a suit yeah he glo he goes into whatever the scottish <laughs> equivalent of savile row is except of course the guy there's not scottish no he's british they're all english he drops into the middle of a shakespeare festival where they're all english what uh, are they doing uh they're doing hamlet yep. which yeah right, they're not doing the scottish play to be fair but to still. be to be fair and again he wouldn't have known shakespeare not even no. personally. He died. He was killed before that. But, yeah, he just sort of screws around with it. And then he decides he needs a suit of clothes. And I still like, he goes into this shop and he hands them his earring as payment. And the guy, apparently a, a clothier is an expert at identifying genuine pearl jewelry. Yeah. Which, by the way, I don't care how big that pearl was, it wasn't worth an entire bespoke suit. No, because they have to make it that day. Yeah, like right, like while he waits. And for and quite some honestly, yeah, sorry. And drinks scotch and has a nice cigar. That's the point where I think Sean is just like, I'm fine with this film. He's just sitting there smoking and drinking. I'm getting paid ten thousand dollars just to smoke and yeah. drink this scotch. I'm betting it was real scotch too. I'm betting it's not like they uh -huh. usually do in the movies where it's iced tea or something. And why can you figure this? While they're dressing him, the background music is the William Tell Overture. Uh, because it's free. Why? That's <laughs> it? Because it's public domain? Yes. That's uh. my answer. I, w I think the best way to, to put this is Sean Connery does not disgrace himself. In a film where other people definitely do, he comes in, he is Sean Connery, and he starts as Sean Connery, he middles as Sean Connery, and he leaves as Sean Connery. Um, the scene where he uh, sacrifices himself... He, for some reason, which he doesn't need to do, because he's actually got plenty of time to get to the door before the big spinning fan that doesn't cover the entire room. Uh, they could have just pressed up against the walls, and it would have been fine, but he uses his magic powers that he suddenly has. Yeah. To telekinetically and, hold it off and then dies. And he basically diminishes and goes west <laughs> and remains Sean Connery. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's pretty much it. Oh, and uh, oh, so, uh, I would also like to talk about the love interest. Now, I'm sorry, the what? Yeah, did you know there was a love interest in this movie? You may have oh. blinked and missed the connection. Oh, I thought that was something in my eye. Yeah, no. <laughs> You know, the, Louise. Yeah. Now, in the first movie, we have a couple of romantic interests for Mac, for McLeod, his wife yep. Heather from the 
16th century. It was so charming. It was adorable and believable, and she seemed like yeah. a real person. Yeah. And then in the 20th century, he meets, um, what's her name, Brenda. Bre so, Brenda. And who has a cameo in a death scene where they obviously couldn't get the actress, so they covered her <laughs> face with bandages and really <laughs> bad makeup that's supposed to look like burn scar. Oh, and I couldn't remember who the actress was, and it didn't matter. As no. soon as they saw her face, it's like, oh, you couldn't get her, huh? Yeah, yeah. She very sensibly stayed away from this. And yeah. in in, uh, in, she wasn't that interesting a character either. She doesn't get to do much. Mostly what she does is get taken hostage. But she Wait, had some mean, personality. Do you mean Brenda or Louise? Uh, Brenda. Okay. She had some. She was, you know... She was a metallurgist. She actually had, mm. had a sort of part in the plot. She re she actually figures out there's something strange about McLeod, not because it's dumped in her lap, but from like evidence he leaves behind. Well, I think she works in the forensics yeah. department. Of the, of the yeah, yeah. When she finds the one of the guys he's beheaded, she's like analyzing the bits of metal in his neck. She's competent. Louise is apparently an eco terrorist who wants <laughs> to destroy the shield. We don't know exactly why. She just there's something doesn't add up. Uh, okay, it's yeah. and when she finds out that the shield is a fraud and that the, the radiation levels above it are normal, she's stunned. It's not like oh, I suspected this or this is why we're doing it. It's like oh, this can't be right. Yeah, and the best part is that she breaks into this 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 complex at a dam, I guess. Yeah. Um, and they have hired the worst guards ever hired in a movie because yes. it is so well lit it might as well be noon and they are sliding in on this rope <laughs> like oh. nearly over the guards and they're going to drop into this pool and the guards don't hear anything nope. and they don't see anything. the stormtroopers from star wars end up looking like the the secret service compared to these guys it's like the two guards in uh, Holy Grail. It really is. Yes, it's like, even if they see there. anything, they just smile. <laughs> yeah, oh for, God, I was waiting so... for one of them when they start breaking in to go. Now wait, you're not to enter the room unless. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I can only give the movie this tiny bit of credit when they get into the the complex and they're breaking into the system. Somebody doesn't actually say I'm in. That is the tiniest yeah, bit of, of like praise yeah. i can give that then sequence she finds mcleod because apparently mcleod is famous in this world because he built he was the guy who designed the shield or helped design the shield sort of yeah and she's like hey you you gotta listen to me and i'm gonna get in your car and stuff and get out of my car no no okay yeah. <laughs> damn i'm helpless before your logic then he gets in the big fight with the porcupine brothers he gets yeah. he gets all quickened back and suddenly he's turned back into Christopher Lambert and she's like, <laughs> "Dude, you're totally hot. Let's have sex in this filthy alley." Yeah. And they do. And it's they that, literally are they press themselves together like two hams and <laughs> <laughs> and they have it's they literally you can actually see that there's a light comes on that says romance. Yeah. Romance. Rom it's but they're trying, nothing. The music is like swelling and triumphant. And they're next to a garbage can, and it's just, this, it could not be less appealing. Yeah, it's just, I have never seen two people shoved together harder. You could actually hear the smack of their limbs, yeah. it was that yep. bad. And, um, and now it's like, oh, it's not, she's not like, oh my god, what have I done? I don't do things like that. I just had alley sex with a guy I met two minutes ago. It's like, oh no, we're in love now. 
Okay. <laughs> Who used to be old 10 seconds ago was really old. Uh, he got hit by lightning and now he's young and I have no idea why that happened. No. But yeah, I'd do that. No, I'd, I'd no. hit that. <laughs> yeah. So, and then she becomes incompetent because for the rest of the film, she just stands there and like tosses her hair. <laughs> yeah. There's one really serious continuity problem. Really? With, well, excuse me. One that's really noticeable. First, yeah. you know, McLeod has a friend who's working at at Shield, he's an agent of Shield. Apparently, I'm sorry, he's an employee of Shield, the Shield Corporate. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does make McLeod and Ramirez Hydra, basically. But yep. he was like McLeod's. And if you cut off one head, oh wait, no, that's how it works. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so he, uh, yeah, so he was the guy who helped design it, and he gets thrown in prison because corporate evil guy doesn't like him. For some, we don't care. Well, he's only left alive for one reason. Yeah, yeah. No. So he can give Connor the rest of the coordinates right, and then he dies. this magic place. But, and then he, he But Ramirez and, and, and McLeod come up with this brilliant way to break into the prison, which is to drive a car directly into the security area and let everybody shoot them so they think they're dead. And of course the place has its own on-site morgue and they break out that way. However, uh, what's her name? Uh, Louise. Louise, thank you. I, I can't remember. Is hiding in the trunk of the car. <laughs> that the the guards have just fired with high impact machine gun bullets. They have literally the entire car is shut up, but she's fine because apparently well, the trunk is bulletproof. Well, Max, as you know, it was a 1960s era Chevy Impala, which uh, were made out of cast iron. So, uh, <laughs> all right, that would do it. That's just good lord. I what you whatever. And apparently, I mean, they have to go up. They have to turn off the shield, but that apparently is not as simple as just hitting an off switch. For some <laughs> reason, I I didn't understand this. Somebody, the bad guy says, what it would take all the energy in the world to shut off the shield. I, well, it gets dumber because, as you remember, at one point Ramirez says it's going to take the oh. power of the two of you to turn it off. We get to the scene where he's finally killed. General Katana, who honestly looks like he just gives up. <laughs> He's like, okay, fine, whatever, just cut my head off. We've done this three times, I'm done. Yeah. And then Connor goes over to this giant beam, because there's only one, mm. this giant beam going into to the sky that causes the shield, and you hear Ramirez say one more time, it'll take the power of the two of you, then Connor steps alone into the <laughs> beam and stops the stupid oh, shield. Yep, and does not so, get vaporized. No, and it doesn't take the power of the two of them. It is, once again, the film giving us the middle finger. Yeah. <sighs> uh. So, uh, there's, there's still some more points, but let's get to our little questions. Yeah. Because uh, they're, they're important. Oh, they are. Um, uh, <laughs> uh. I don't know if I can ask the first one with a straight face. Does the sequel feel uh. like a natural continuation of the original movie's story? Well... As we've talked about, an or, as, if, does it appear organically? I think yes, in the way that waste material organically appears out of the human body. So this sequel was not so much made as pooped out. <laughs> Defecated. Yeah. No, yeah. this movie, of, I think of all of the ones we've seen, this is the sequel that really just gives a big middle finger to the previous movie. It says, yeah. yeah, all the stuff in there, it, you were wrong. It was <laughs> it was wrong. Sorry. There's it's aliens, it's not odd mysticism. The fact that it's aliens or time travel, by the way, that doesn't explain anything about why holy <laughs> ground 
makes any difference. That's one of the no. rules: is you can't, the uh, immortals cannot fight on holy ground. Because. Now, when it's unexplained mysticism, okay. Yeah. When it's this, it just yeah. makes even less sense. Well, also, they're in the past, like, with all this technology, because, uh, huh? Mm. So, literally, all they did was the director came in, took the original film, and everywhere the word Zeist appeared in the soundtrack, he taped the word The Past yeah. instead. Yeah. And you could almost see the scotch tape, like Bruce Lee's face in Game of Death. There is even the line when, when McLeod's watching the opera, and you hear the voice, remember. And you can hear, we remember that the word remember back on planet Zeist. Yeah, but in this, it's just remember blank, and you can hear the blank. You can hear the cut. And then they, after that, they say remember the rebellion. At which points, the entire audience, as a one, said together, "No, <laughs> <laughs> we in fact do not remember, nor do we care." <laughs> yeah, I'm going to agree with Max. Uh, there is literally nothing that links the first film and this film except for Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery, yeah. and that's it. <laughs> And the title, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Um, but when you're when your only connection is a title, we have a problem. Yeah. And I remember being angry. I was angry. This is one of the first films I ever went to, and I was angry. And it's like you two took something that I really liked. It is not a grade A film, Highlander. It's no. got its problems, but it's fun. It's very mm. compact and it's complete. It doesn't over-explain things. It doesn't need to. And quite honestly, it ends. There doesn't need to be any more. Um, yeah, because there can be only you know one. Yeah, it's very self-contained. It's oddly enough like the like the first Star Wars movie, the first real Star Wars movie. Right. It didn't. It did not need to be. As we've asked, is this a sequel or is this a franchise? This became a franchise, and it was yeah. it was not planned. I don't believe it was planned to be a franchise, but it became. My God, they, five movies, a TV show, two TV shows. Excuse me. There was a spinoff and a cartoon. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's the kind of franchise that sells, you know, meals to small children with really crappy plastic toys in it. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, and of course, the uh, the other question, very, very important. Does the sequel surpass the original and does it need to? <laughs> we've, 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 just, we've just explained but that uh, no. it doesn't and it was an unnecessary sequel. So no, it doesn't need to surpass it. It would be nice if it at least equaled it. Yeah. But it doesn't come close. Yeah. Um, and hmm. I do have an, a, a sort of follow-up question. Yeah. If the sequel had to be made, and it didn't, what kind of story would you have told in place of this? I don't know, because I don't think it needed it. Because at the end, it's like, oh, there are no more immortals. The story's over. Mm -hmm. um, you would have to, you, the only way to do it would have been to change something. Like, oh, no, there were immortals over there. You just didn't look over there. <laughs> You're still here, or the, it, yeah, it's, it's over. over. Go or home. Or maybe, maybe McCloud, uh, you know, as an older man, sees a new generation, a whole, a whole bunch of new immortals show up. Sure, and I actually would have been fine with that. Maybe that's what happens: is this is a contest that runs every, you know, two thousand years, and then starts then over it starts, again. Yeah, then yeah. he's there to see the restart. Maybe he wants to break the cycle because it's never-ending violence. Well, except the thing is, is that it's the well. There's also apparently a bunch of backstory for the Kurgan, which quite honestly we don't need because we can guess. Apparently, he shows up and he's al alongside people like Attila the Hun and uh, Shang Kai Shek and all that stuff. Is that the one? No, no. Who's the? No, no. not him. Genghis uh, Khan. Genghis Khan. Yep. Yeah. 
Big uh, difference. Yeah, and he basically the Kurgan was like, wherever there's lots of conquesting and warring, that's where I am. And Clancy Brown embodies that so well that you don't need it. Um, but I could totally see it be like, hey, I've got the prize. You know, oh, they're doing it again. Maybe I'll try and seek some of these people out and mentor them so we don't have the same outcome we did before. That could have been cool. Yeah, sure. Or it turns out this is being done over and over again for an ultimate purpose. Maybe it's to create some sort of being who can shepherd the whole world yeah, or against, conquer it or whatever. Against planet Zeist. <laughs> against planet Zeist. That's it. Maybe it's an invasion force of a planet Zeist. Yeah. There were a lot of things there were a lot of things we could have done or that's the idea that you know conflict breeds strength and they they're trying to build the strongest being or yeah knows there yeah. there's stuff we could have done we didn't need to bring in a deteriorated ozone layer and a weird blade runner plot and time travel or aliens Ugh. I well yeah and, and again while Sean Connery really does do his best. His character gets the most unholy fisting in this movie. <laughs> he becomes a Muppet? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he pretty much the movie shoves its hand up him and works him like a puppet because in the first movie, Ramirez is elegant and suave and he's he, he, nothing surprises or shocks him. And in this, he's just making bad jokes. Yeah. He's saying, hit it, dude. Yeah. To, to McLeod, like, oh, that's going to age well. And he uses the, the uh, I can't say the word, but the blank head word yeah. twice, because that's funny. Yeah. Uh, I will also say that in the original film, his part was the most WTF of the whole film. It's like, oh, the one Scottish actor in the entire film in Scotland is in fact playing an Egyptian by way of the court of Spain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, come on, the Highlander is French. <laughs> What's it French for? Oh. Uh, I don't. Uh, hello, I uh, we I like my haggis. We I am so very Scottish, am I not? Oh, I love haggis. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you just I'm sort of. It was Sean Connery in the first films. So you're like, well, that's dumb, but it's Sean Connery, so it's fine. Yeah, um, and he has a great wig. I'll give him that. He has a great wig. <laughs> oh, it looks terrific. Yeah, he he looks he he always look. He's the best looking in any of these these uh, movies. He's he's mm. wearing the coolest costumes. Yep. They've got him done up. He's got the best sword. Yep. Uh, even the suit is pretty cool. I was expecting a kilt, but I'm guessing he's a lowlander, so therefore he doesn't get one. Um, which <laughs> well, is he's fine, also Spanish, but lowlanders wear true. I'm sorry, trues, trues. Yeah. I, again, I like the scene in the clothing store where one of the guys keeps trying to dress him in tartan. Yeah. And uh, the uh, the snooty head of the place keeps walking by and ripping it off him. Well, it's probably the wrong one. Honestly, I, the whole movie could have taken place in the clothing store and it would have been better. <laughs> well, there's some other things, too. So, But we've talked about various plot uh, problems, of which there are many. Um, I don't know if you could tell. I, I actually wore uh, headphones to listen to this film because uh, it was easier that way. The entire film is dubbed. Everything is overdubbed. So everyone oh. came back and looped their parts. And it is terrible. The sound is awful and of course whenever you do that the inflection is all wrong like you the people are trying to recreate their performances and even the best actors quite honestly because of just the sound booth being a small space with no echoes and no feeling of the actual location just gets dulled down and here it's just awful yeah i can see that yeah the effects oh. are not so special um there's a couple and of shots in particular that are just ugh. And one of the things about the first movie that was so impressive was the fight choreography. Yeah. The sword fighting in the first one is really cool to watch. This is just the same thing over and over again. 
Well, they use different styles in the first one. Yeah. And in this, it's just, uh, I'm going to hit you with a big hunk of metal. Whack, whack. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm going to hit you with a big hunk of metal. So there, whack, whack. Ah, you showed me. Ha, and then, you are a worthy adversary. And then they go away, and then they come back and do the same thing all over again. Yeah. Three yeah. times. Three Three times. times. And there's nothing distinctive about the three fights. It's not like they're using the environment differently or the style differently. It's oh, just just the same thing. It's just like a fist fight with swords. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so we have the sound effects, which are, I'm going to say the sound in general, which is bad. The uh, special effects, which are not special. There is some really just dumb, dumb, dumb lines in this film. At one point, to... to, to emote the the sadness of having grown up in this dark world that's rainy and moist <laughs> uh louise says to connor have you ever seen a blue sky what was it like i don't know i'm guessing it's blue because <laughs> it's just like this is a film that actually dares you not to yell at it yeah um, it really encouraged i mean in, he's saying it wasn't just the deepest blue there were white clouds turning dark. And as he's describing this, she's closing her eyes and like she's in ecstasy. Because he said, there was a blue sky and there were white clouds and they would turn gray. There were Thank trees you. of green. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that would have worked. If you got Louis Armstrong, he should have just said, here, I'm going to put on Louis Armstrong. He just says it better than I do. And it's like, oh, it's so sad. She's never seen a blue sky. Because you can hear the gum chewing of the scriptwriter. Yeah. Um and then there's this part, this whole stupid subplot where they have to, you know, prove that the ozone layer actually fixed itself. So they have to get to this magic point, which, as I pointed out, is actually 800 miles east of Virginia Beach, um, but is actually a mountain. And apparently there's a, a point in California, I guess, or in this case, Argentina. Uh -huh. I don't know. I was thinking Everest because that might have made sense, which it still wouldn't. Um, where they can actually climb if... No. Yeah, there's and, a ladder up the middle of the mountain. Yeah, and there's a hole in the mountain. Literally a hole. They come out of a hole in the mountain, and they're above the shield. Okay, it's obviously not that tall, because there's not even snow on this mountain. It's bright, it's sunny, it's nice. How is anybody flying a plane? Yeah. <laughs> you would have yeah. to be above the shield, because planes have to fly higher than that, because buildings are taller than that. <laughs> Yeah, no, If you cannot look at this movie with any kind of critical eye because it falls apart instantly. No, and then the film actually gets daring. At one point, Connor actually says, nothing lasts forever, which prompts you to respond, except this film. Yeah, <laughs> because... yeah, yeah, this film makes me question that. Yeah, uh, but, you know, hey, we, ha we have gone through a lot of things. Are there any last notes before we get to our final wrap-up? And the, and the surprise. Yeah. Someday we'll have a surprise. So how did he get Ramirez's sword? At the end, he's got the katana. <laughs> they don't even explain it. It just shows up. It's just sort of there. Not to mention the big thing. How does Ramirez show up? He, well, he died in the first one. Yes, and apparently, if you say if you say Sean Connery's name three times while looking in a mirror and drinking <laughs> scotch, he comes back. Really? You know, no. uh, yeah. when we're done with this, I uh, I have something to do. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's just, it's and honestly, that part is just so silly, you don't even bother. It's like, you know, I'm we're half an hour into the movie. I <laughs> can't, I can't waste the energy. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that that's about all I got. Let's let's get to our, our oh yeah, let's get to the shock. Up. The roundup. 
So Max, did yeah. you uh, did you see this when it came out? I did. You weren't with us at the audience, weren't you? I was not. I was okay. not. I think you you were in that other place we call yeah. the Midwest. No, no. I think back then this was no. This was uh, one ninety one. Ninety one. Yeah, that's right. Yep, I saw this in uh, the Midwest. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Because uh, uh, what did you think when you saw it? Uh, I I remember just sitting there going, "What am I watching? This has nothing to do with the first film." Yeah. At, it was actually when Sean Connery showed up. I was like, okay, no. It wasn't even the Planet Zeiss thing. Although that may... I, mostly I was just sitting there with my mouth hanging open going, what? <laughs> it was Sean Connery. Oh, I see. You want Sean Connery back for the sequel. You're not even going to try to make it make sense. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Connery, Connery, Connery. <laughs> Yeah, Ugh. no, so I, I I was very disappointed because I did like the first one. I still like the first one. Yeah, so and I, I mean the the th and I I saw the third and I think I saw the fourth. <laughs> I think I, I honestly don't remember either of them very well except I think Mario Van Peebles was in the third. The third was like the Sorcerer or something. And while I don't think they were very good or very memorable, they were not the the spitting in your eye that this movie was. Yeah. And I totally get why all of the sequels pretend this movie never happened. <laughs> yeah. So um, what about what about you? You saw yeah. you, you you already said you saw it when you came out. You saw it opening night. You I wanted to leave. I did. I was with friends at the time. I I remember one of the friends I was with. I don't remember who else was there. Um, and it it was ten minutes in. And they said Planet Zeist, and I was like, I am out of here. And he, the friend said, No, stay and make fun of it. Which we did, mostly my friend did, because I didn't want to yell out in the theater. But there was one scene near the end of the film. It was actually during the um, the scene where they break into the prison. <laughs> and there's all this shooting. And suddenly, inexplicably, uh, to our great benefit, the sound cut out in our <laughs> theater. And my friend and I started dubbing in the sounds for the guns. <laughs> so we started going bang, 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 literally bang, bang, not even going, <laughs> pow, pow. we were going bang, bang, ow, ow. People were laughing. The sound came back on and the audience booed. <laughs> uh, it was awful. It was interminable. Uh, there's one scene in the in the film where they are trapped uh, just beneath the spitting fan because, of course, uh. there's rooms where they can cut off heads in a prison because that's going to have to happen with a giant fan. And there's a, a touchpad, and Louise goes over, and she's hitting buttons at random because that's going to work. And my, my our friend there just yells out, try 333 film, which got the <laughs> biggest laugh of the whole thing. Um, I don't think I've ever been to an opening night film that people were more than happy for people to talk over. Like that, it was it was just that bad. That film, this film has all the tension of a warm muffin. Honestly, yeah. it's just there's nothing in there. There's, um, there's one point where Louise literally tries to explain the movie. Uh, <laughs> She's like, "Wait, so when you're back there, you're not immortal, but you come here and you're immortal until you're blah, blah, blah. and she literally this is this two minute sentence that she managed to memorize and say and it's still like middle of the film and she tries to explain it and you just you're like oh dear gods yeah that is what i'm watching yeah yeah i think this movie literally hates its audience just hates us yep <laughs> um i just yeah i wanted to go home then i wanted to go home at planet zeist just awful if you haven't seen the original highlander film again grain of salt it is not perfect 
There's mm-hmm. a cup. There's a bit of cheesiness to it, but it's fun. It's a nice little universe that starts, middles, and ends just fine. Does not need anything else. Yeah. Um, and there's actual Queen music in it, as opposed to in this one, where there's one or two people who are really trying to sound like Queen and not pulling it off. Yeah, sadly, one of them is Stuart Copeland, uh, who mm. was was a police, um, mm. and would also do other things like uh, the soundtrack to the Spyro the Dragon <laughs> game franchise. But oh, dear. Uh, yeah, well, you know, hey, it pays mm. the money. Uh, but that mm. we're, we're wrapping up our series right now. That we was have... the final one in our series. Leave them wanting more, because I bet you don't want no more. And this is a case where we really wish. They had left us wanting more because yeah, more is yeah. better. But hey, we, we talked about our little call-in show. And uh, even in general, if you have any comments or questions or ideas, you can get in touch with us in a number of different ways. Well, mm. two, really. One, you can email us directly at us at maxmikemovies.com, which, of course, suggests that we have a website by that name, which we do. Or you can, leave a co- you can leave a comment on that said website because all of our episodes are there for you to listen to over and over and over again because that's what people want to do. They want to listen to <laughs> us over and over and over again. Yep. Uh, leave a comment on an episode. Give us an idea. Whatever. That's really cool. But hey, you probably wonder, I've been listening to this episode. How do I find it? Well, you find it by <laughs> listening to the uh, podcast app of your choice, be it Google, Apple, or Spotify, uh, or iHeartRadio, and we yep. heck, we may be other places as well. Hmm. Um, so there's all of this and all of us just for all of you. But we're starting something different next week. It's, That's uh, right. Series. We actually decided on a name. I was going to call it Semi-Real People, but... Uh, I was just calling it Biopics. Oh, I like Semi-Real People, at least, because, okay. well, like, it opens the discussion, shall we say. But yeah. it's going to be about um, films that are uh, ostensibly about real, actual, having lived or are still living people. Mm-hmm. And we're going to look and see how good a job they do. And uh, Max is first up. Yep. He's got the bat in his hands. Max, what are you taking a swing at next week? Your head! <laughs> because I, there can be only me! Uh, uh, wait, okay. that, that's that's not it. Uh, uh, there could be four or five! No, crap. Uh, anyway, yes, we're going to be taking a look at that classic, Amer- uh, that uh, legendary uh, American comic and uh, pioneer in the f- field of comic movies, Mr. Charles Chaplin, in the movie Chaplin. Uh, who stars in that? Uh, Morton Downey Jr. <laughs> uh, Wait, is that... this the one where he gets the armor, or does that yeah. come in Chaplin 2? <laughs> sorry, don't sorry, that's that's Robert Downey Jr., and uh, this is significantly pre-Iron Man. Oh. Wait, he did movies before Iron Man? Yeah, hard to believe, right? <laughs> Next thing you're going to tell me, Paul McCartney was in a band before Wings. <laughs> Okay, Mike and I have to have a little talk. Uh, uh, why are you picking no, no. up the bat? What, what, put, okay. the, put the bat down, Max. <laughs> please, please put the bat down. You're going to learn, Michael. <laughs> this has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Thank you.